Dan Kirkendall is back in action with more hacking than ever. What's he hacking? Doesn't matter. New places. Somewhere on the stack where mobile and web play, where all the data waits. Dan Kirkendall, and I'm going to show you what it takes to hack into nearly any place on the web. We've got to make it through a weak set of defenses in the sort of places you would think would have the right survival skills. Alrighty, folks. We are back for another episode of the Man vs. Web App Podcast. My name is Dan Kirkendall, and I'm here with my co-host, Scott Davis. Howdy, howdy. And today, we are talking about out-of-band web attacks. Uh, this can go by a bunch of different names. We're sitting here before we started recording, debating what we call this is out-of-order, out-of-band. Uh, what some of the other <laughs> Second variations? Order. Second order. Second order. Blind. Um, so there's some other ones, uh, external service interactions. Um. Well, whatever you <laughs> want to call it, it is a relatively new style of attack. And, and I'm always very interested. I like looking at the, in general, when I look at web security, I like to look at the different styles of attacks. I'm less interested in the individual, you know, latest attack out in the news those are often just variations on a theme, things that we've seen before, but against a new service. Uh, I like to really look at web security and look at what are these categories of attacks. And we have our our categories where we're attacking the system itself, like a SQL injection, where we're attacking the database server behind the web application. Uh, and so, and, you know, and there's, there's server-side includes. There's all various attacks that we can do against the server, command injection, OS injection, all that sort of thing. We then have the ones where we're using the web application to attack a user. And that would be the classic of like cross-site scripting, where we're, we're trying to deliver a payload or use that web application, use something that somebody trusts to then deliver an attack payload uh, because it's vulnerable and it'll actually let your code show up on that site. Uh, so I like to look at these categories and there, there's a bunch of others, um, but you know, there's the cross-site request forgery, which is another play on being able to attack a user. And there's all these, all kinds of variations on these themes. So I'm always interested in finding ways to, uh, you know, finding different ways to attack users through web applications. And I think this out of band, out of order, out of, uh, you know, second stage attacks is a pretty fun new one, uh, relatively new anyway, that uh, we should have fun discussing. Uh, I'm going to let Scott take it over. He's been doing a lot more research on it <laughs> and uh, doing some interesting stuff within uh, for our team uh, at Rapid7 and what we're doing. But the concepts and, you know, it would be kind of nice to kind of give a preview maybe of, of what your AppSec EU talk is going to be covering, some of the topics there. But um, I'll let you take it away. Yeah. Well, thank you. Um, and, and as always... Um... We're we're talking at the same 
subject matter. Just say whatever as it comes. Um, I think when I think of a um, out of band, I, I need to define what in band is for myself uh, or for others when we're we're having a d dialogue about this. Um, so the, the conventional way of um, testing a target in many ways, not just um, web application security, is you send requests and res and you observe responses or sequences of requests and sequences of responses and determining something. But it's still this one um, question answer channel that you're having a dialogue with a target about. And what could be interesting uh, on the side, maybe in a in, in a very similar with what as humans are doing with uh, maybe gossip or something, is going to a, a third party to say, hey, did they say anything to you? Um, because if they did, I want to know about it. And in the case of like security context, um, that third party could be reachable by that target in some other channel, uh, some other discussion, and um, could be serving, say, malicious payloads if it's in cahoots or unity with the uh, the scanning uh, partner in this case, so maybe maybe it's also um, external service stuff is 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 a way of being slow and sneaky. Um, it's not really a hey I'm going to tell you like social engineers hey I'm going to I'm going to pretext this conversation to get the information out of of this this target that I need. It's I'm going to give you a packet in which somewhere down the road you're going to deliver this to somebody and then they will be compromised because they consume that packet in some way. So, so can I can I bring up an example? And this is this is one that uh, people would use a lot in kind of even with classic cross-site scripting. And this is where uh, you deliver something. You 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 do an attack, and you know it's not going to work, right? Uh, or at least you you don't expect it to because the site appears to be protecting itself. But what you're hoping is that uh, when maybe the maybe the the administrator goes to view the, the web logs, that maybe you're at the web log viewer won't have the appropriate, uh, you know, escaping on, let's say, cross-site scripting or whatever. And so when they view the web logs, those would have the attacks in there and, and the, the administrator might get actually attacked. Is that kind of an example? Yeah, that's a perfect example. And more often than not, that administrator will be an administrative account that's just running on a cron job or a job um, that uh, no one is really having their finger on a button for. So it will be, it'll be a high, a highly privileged account behind some series of firewalls that maybe or maybe not managed by a human. Um, so, so, it, so this is least, so, yeah. Go ahead. So it's a great out of order, but then part of the challenge if you're trying to test for this is that, as you said, when you, one of the the models is that you're doing this blind you have no idea if the attack actually worked right so how do you how do you kind of build this into a process that you would do normally well uh, that's a great question um i think it needs to about it needs to start with categorization of, of how you're going to attack a target so if we were to say everything uh that is uh, uh in the same channel between uh, say a scanner and a target it would be first order, just a request and response in any sort of sequence. Maybe an out-of-band um, categorization would be you make a request to that target, and somewhere now or later, that target makes a request to an external resource and comes back. And in that same channel, we see uh, we see that response had gone out and it came back from the target and said, "Yeah, here's here's the here's the the answer." So that's kind of like a 
a 1.5 order because really you're still seeing um, the vulnerability observed in your main channel, but by by crafting a payload, you asked that target to go out somewhere and it came back and told you that it did. And then the next iteration of that is the, the fully blind or the second order or whichever um, uh, name this, this year um, or, or month um, is when you send a request, the, the target you never expect to see back and you have to go out to that third party and ask for it. Um, I think in, in defining those series of, of, of structures of, of how these attack classes are, you can kind of uh, get, get uh, the appropriate tooling to do that. I think if, you, if for instance, like AppSpider and others have, have addressed first order for a long time and then aspects of out of band, for instance, um, remote file include um, is, uh, or XXE, where you inject an entity into an XML document. And that entity actually goes out into the internet to populate the rest of um, that schema or whatever the part of the document it is. And that would be as remote file include, but still an out of band if it happened to come back in the same channel. So it has some crossovers with some of the stuff we typically well, that's, see. That's in interesting. You know, I, we, we've been doing like remote file includes for, for ages and I never really thought about them as a as an out of band attack or a second order attack because... I, we usually set them up in a way that you see the response immediately, but uh, I guess you're correct. You're expecting the server to go out and do some other operation, and uh, and then you get some benefit of it. Yeah. So the remote file hmm. includes really for me where it kind of sticks in like um, so in the the classical like in the case of um, XML or XXE attacks. It's really just a resource load that we're that we would need to detect. So that XML document just did an HTTP uh, GET request to pull in some uh, entity information, and then we just have to detect that it went out and made that that uh, protocol request. Um, where that gets interesting is say say instead of just giving back um, um, some blank resource, um, if we start say giving back uh, a cross-site scripting payload, or a a SQL injection payload. Or uh, you know they have what's called like out of band super blind SQL injection. There's there's different aspects of that. But when the payload that's responded in this out of band tech uh, technique um, iterates or uh, interacts with the target in ways that say a scanner would, but it's coming kind of in a back channel. Um, there's some interesting plays there that um, a lot of development and uh, security is not really engineered to think about. So given that yes SQL injection and and remote file include local file include all that's still going on on the front lines. Um, we're so busy on those front lines that often um, these log readers, as you were mentioning, Dan, are sitting back so many nodes in some cluster that's just to uh, support some debug mechanism to see how the queries are going. And the heck, if they're going to escape that input, nobody would be cross-site scripting there. And that's usually the the uh, the mentality I've seen around that. I, and I kind of believe it's everywhere there. I mean, there's going to be places that really have this ironed out, but until people really um get a little bit comfortable with their scanning tools um sending some packets further into their network which are already happening if you're scanning those applications but just uh waiting around a little bit longer maybe lazily um to see days hours months uh, it doesn't have to be that long but really these kinds of late triggering out of band attacks can be um quite slow um, um so um detecting these kinds of things, um, some of the key aspects that are pretty interesting to think about. So say say we're trying to get uh, a blind cross-site scripting payload to fire in, in, our, in our target's ecosystem. 
And um, so we, we send a payload to say some data collection endpoint, it chugs through some Hadoop and somewhere down the line, um, a PhantomJS um, headless browser loads up this, this payload insecurely and triggers. But say uh, the network security or the, uh, the ecosystem there is quite structured and they're not letting HTTP requests go out. But most often, because it's easier to leave set up, DNS does go out, whether it's a, a local DNS probe or somewhere out. Um, the packets for you know, um, other protocols are going to be maybe strictly controlled. Maybe not um, in some cases, but maybe so. But if, if the DNS gets out, therein lies another exfiltration channel. Um, large, uh, I've seen stuff where people will say um, base64 encode a series of commands and put them thwacked onto a subdomain. And those commands will then get um, exfiltrated and sent back to another command control and just kind of loops back around. But in the case of testing for out-of-band phones, I think it's useful to say, oh, cross-site scripting apparently triggered. It didn't actually, or, or it attempted to trigger. It didn't actually succeed, but we saw a DNS request go out from your data center. So we know that it triggered internal. It just wasn't able to escape. And this is something I've seen a lot of with uh, at least the legacy data centers. I've, I've worked with people. Um, they will see things get triggered a lot, but because they have such good firewall rules, most of the um, like uh, root shell kits or root kits or whatever aren't really trying to go out through DNS. But that's not to say there aren't and not to say they won't. But um, uh, the naive thing is that, oh yes, all HTTP is going to leave a second order target. But So there's at least uh, those two useful channels that um, one can use immediately. Um, as um, doing uh, blind and out-of-band um, testing to see like what level of uh, protocol interaction you get behind the scenes, whether DNS or HTTP, um, and then what kind of things over that protocol you can do. So ultimately, it really means that third party or that service um, speaks a lot of different things and then translates that into some consumable mechanism uh, for a scanner, a user, you know, an admin, so they can you know, test their system. Ultimately, you want to be able to scale this so that, say, you have a bazillion things flowing through your data pipeline and, and three things triggered a, a cross-site scripting. You want to be know, knowing about it, but you don't want to be pouring over the logs to find that out with, with some of these second-order volts. Um, well, some of the, the, the fun stuff that I came across was, was um, in 2015. Um, something uh, Netflix had an open source project, um, very similar to another project, which I'll describe in a second. But it's called Sleepy Puppy, and Sleepy Puppy is a is a is a, is a blind uh, cross-site scripting uh, payload management framework. So it's uh, it's kind of meant to be a little standalone, either a Docker app or somewhere in your ecosystem that um, can receive these these callback interactions. And it will deploy payloads, and it has what's called puppy scripts, which are really JavaScripts with, <laughs> with some templating. Um, but these puppy scripts, um, you can assign to different uh, campaigns. So say like you're attacking the data collection, and that's your that's your campaign. So you're going to have a certain kind of scripts that are looking for certain kind of payloads. Say you're you're looking for um, Java deserialization issues, and maybe you have some some hooks there, or you're looking for particular machines, or or what have you. But the point there is uh, Sleepy Puppy really created this uh, center where they could um, fine-tune these um, scan campaigns to the type of payloads that were going out and is and and, and a nice way of um, wrapping them all up. Uh, they could do some better reporting, but really as an open source tool, 
um, I, I made use of it plenty of times and, and, and found some great fun stuff with it. Well, and what, what's interesting about some of this stuff is that it somewhat breaks our traditional paradigm of scanning. Right, so a lot of times you scan. There's just a finite period of time that you're performing a scan, and, and I don't, you know, I'm not, not necessarily uh, just web security, right? Even if you go back into network security, right? And it's, you know, we always have like these scan events, and these kind of out of band, out of order attacks really kind of start breaking down that paradigm a little bit because uh, sometimes you know the scan may take, you know, an hour or a couple hours to run, and then it's over with. And everything that was learned was learned, and it's done. And it creates a report. Uh, you get your your results or whatever, and you and that's it, right? With some of these out of band, out of order attacks, this is where it gets kind of interesting. For having, uh, you have to have a service that's up and running, like Sleepy Puppy. You, you usually leave. You can leave that up and running and listening for a long time to see if anything, you know, arrives, right? Um, but it does start to lend toward that model. You know, maybe a, a managed service or a SaaS type of offering, one that's just always there, always listening, so that, you know, an attack that was delivered a month ago may show up, and then we can now report on it, right? But you have to have a, that service, that listener, kind of always there, right? And what's what's really interesting, what you mentioned there is, is what I still like, you know, I, I kind of, you know, not tongue-in-cheek, a little bit like with um, Sleepy Puppy, I'm like, oh, the reporting's not that great. But immediately I'm like, well, how do you make great reporting for this? Because like typically when I've seen, especially maybe like enterprise level scans, you got like your your history and when that scan date happened and you want to look through and your results. But say you do that every week or every day or every month and you're doing also um, out of band or, or blind attacks. Say that blind attacks fell past the, the next time you did a scan, but it was from, it was a payload from the first scan, you know, something ridiculous like that. Where, where does reporting how to make sense of that kind of data. Um, I think there it, it's completely valid to do both at once, but when to look at it. Um, I've heard you say sometimes or like, it's kind of like just the latest report gets the latest um, out of band kind of bones. That sounds to make sense I, without trying to overcomplicate it. I, I can't really see the absolute solution to reporting on this mechanism yet. And most of the things are like some sort of like SMS or, or email just so a, a security team lead or security team member can go run and, and now start their reporting. But for the enterprise level, it's really like, what makes sense for that reporting mechanism? And I know uh, where we're we're currently with with Rapid Seven, there's they're really good at reporting. So I'm I'm hoping to see some 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 change uh, down the road where we can see the scan mixed well with uh, with these other kinds of data sources, or maybe out of band or other places. And I'm seeing that ecosystem happen, but I don't I don't claim to know that reporting answer. I feel like I've seen you say some really good things and. I'm, I'm hoping to see more more of that kind of a presentation as the year goes on and more people kind of look at this stuff. Yeah, I wonder, and I haven't looked into this, but, you know, when you do spear phishing campaigns, uh, you know, corporations will, will attack their own employee base, right? They they must be doing a similar thing. And I know we are, we do at Rapid7, there's a, there's a team that does uh, some of that, you know, those, those spear phishing campaigns for, for companies. But uh, they must have a model we should probably be looking at. I don't know. It's but it does bring up an interesting problem set that you know on the on the security side, especially with like web security and network security, we often think in these events, right? And and all of a sudden we're breaking out of an event, like you said. You may have delivered that attack two months ago, right? Uh, 
and you've run you know 10 scans in between then and now and bam all of a sudden the volume comes up where does that show up what happens to i don't know that, that app was given pci compliance for example or something else right uh and then <laughs> Can you know, then what happens right <laughs> did does that de-qualify it then you have to get mitigation how do you how do you alert on that there's all all kinds of interesting things to to consider when you start getting these results back from you know that were delayed i think you hit a really interesting point that reminded me how much this is really similar to yeah a spear phishing campaign and then the sneakiness of of coercing a, a human to click on something is in a way just in this what we're talking about is replaced by sending something to an API endpoint and coercing it to be consumed. We don't care after that point. We don't even need the API to click on it or something proverbially click on it in the API. It's just somewhere down the road. And with spear phishing, it feels like you're you're going out looking for that second order, like um, getting getting a hold of somebody behind the, the, the energy of the company, behind the firewall, behind whatever creds you need to get from them. So it's in, in many ways the essence of that, which is not going anywhere anytime soon is very is very um, successful and it's, it, it it has a huge amount of attack um, uh, volume per year. So I feel like the people who are already doing this are already thinking in in second order sneakiness. So um, we need to be uh, on the same kind of uh, level with our scanning tools. And however that adds challenge to that, I'm, I'm all for it. it. Sounds fun. <laughs> yeah, and uh, one of them that I've seen, you know, and, and sometimes we think about, you know, one system or another, and and another piece of that that I've seen is APIs, right? So there may be an API for a mobile app that is not going to be vulnerable to cross-site scripting, right? That's not. But you might be able to post data into your application, update your profile or whatever, things that will just make it look funny when you look at it, the mobile app. But if there's a companion web application where you can do all the same things, right? And you go and you look at your profile there and all of a sudden the cross-site scripting payload works. Um, now, I know that's attacking yourself, but you can also carry that on to where you're doing well, it for other no, people, no. right? Uh, I completely agree with you that that is a second order attack. Say um, somebody was um, naively not paying attention at their you know local hipster internet cafe and there was a Wi-Fi pineapple and somebody stole their mobile traffic and boom. The next time uh, they log in to the web page at home or somewhere else, because of their mobile traffic being um, sniffed, so to speak, uh, that uh, that payload could be injected again or replayed perhaps in that mobile traffic and then show up somewhere else. And that that's the exact same theme. So you reminded me of that as well, because I was like, when you, you brought that up with some conversation we had weeks ago and I was like, oh, yeah. Oh yeah, it 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 doesn't attack the mobile API, but here it is again. And, yeah, um, we were actually looking at an API, and you're like, well, yeah, you can deliver cross-site scripting, but it's not going to work. I'm like, well, what happens if a mobile app, like, or I'm sorry, a web app, or like a uh, an Angular app, is using that API and grabs that data and shoves it into the interface and doesn't escape it properly? Then you know you may have a vulnerable client all of a sudden. Uh, yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, you know, I can imagine something like this, uh, you know, like on a Tinder type of app, right? Because like, those kind of apps freak me out a little bit because people can create their profile and then people are zipping through them very quickly, right? And there's these clients on yeah, different yeah. platforms. And uh, I just use the example of Tinder because it's one where it's a, there's a lot of people out there swiping left and right and whatever, right? And so there's this massive audience. And, and if, when you find those, like image vulnerabilities or something. I mean, what a platform to deliver a payload like that, 
right? That you know, and that'd be a great little out of band, you know, out of order attack where you you upload your image file where, where you know, and there's a a decoder error that gives it a buffer overflow on Android or on iOS or something, and uh, and then you toss it as your profile pic, right? And people are just swiping through, and you, how, who knows how many people are going to see that, right? And if they ever build a yeah. web, I don't know if Tinder, I, I've never used it, but I don't know if they have a web client, but if they had a web client and you could deliver cross-site scripting payloads and people are swiping left and right on their, you know, on their web browser, you could start potentially delivering some interesting out-of-band attacks, you know, on those type of apps because you're you're very rapid. You you got a lot of people very quickly, you know. I mean, like Twitter was a good example, but they they're they're pretty solid. <laughs> they've they've been doing this a while. They know how to protect themselves and protect their users, but these other startups that come along that don't have that history, don't have that uh, maturity in their development process, but get popular very, very quickly, these out-of-band attacks are going to be much more interesting. Yeah, and uh, following along like that, you know, I've talked a little bit in the AppSecian tone of, you know, cross-site scripting, remote file include, SQL injection. These are things we talk about in our field a lot. But the idea uh, um, of of like second orders is 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 fairly old. Like I, I'm reminded when I brought this up with a colleague, uh, Drew, it's like, oh, Stuxnet. You know, there there's this virus that was actually its whole goal was to go destroy um, uh, these uh, centrifuges, and that's its payload. But you know, infiltrating the computers that are running these centrifuges, um, that was its its first line of attack. And while this isn't web security, that's the sneakiness is the payload for the second attack, um, and I think, I think that's where, where this this theme is coming from. Um, yeah, you know that's true, and we're used to that. I think at the network layer, right, and having worms and things like that. That you know we, we've had that concept for a long time, but because web was stateless, we we didn't really think about that affecting web applications, right, and and web services, but. And, and as you know, our CEO, Corey, uh, Corey Thomas likes to say, you know, we're living in a much more interconnected world. And, and, this, and this includes the, all these web services and business to business web services. Everybody's talking to each other nonstop and pulling data and sending data uh, through either web applications or web services. Um, and this, you know, carries on to IoT and all those sorts of things. And this interconnected web uh, which I know sounds funny because the web is already was supposed to be, you know, <laughs> interconnected is it was kind of inherent, but we're looking at it in a different way. And the, the trust relationships that we pull data from uh, to and, and send data to and from has just opened up much more dramatically in the last really five years, I would say. And, and, and I think these, these out of band attacks on web and mobile applications are going to continue being, uh, I guess, more interesting than they were. Yeah. And I think because of, you know, not using the interconnected word, uh, <laughs> but I just did, uh, is is those IoT devices aren't going to be uh, so simple in many ways in, in, or, or are overly simple in some ways in that um, they will be completely um, new protocols in play, uh, completely new payloads that do something, say, in a second order way. Um, uh, these, these second order attacks that we know classically that we're applying, um, like the OWASP top 10, which are really these first order attacks to, are always, they're, they're definitely going to be there, but then there's going to be these stories of, of things we don't even know yet, whether that, that, that second order attack is, is, say, jumping through your Amazon Echo to your card that then does something, 
or just these these multi-hop things. Um, or as another colleague who's, who's, who's presenting something on, on chaining attacks, if you do a bunch of second order attacks that all chain together and becomes like this mega attack, it's also um, it's in a way related to that. I'm not trying to over overscale this, this idea, but it, I'm trying to break free of this. I am sending a packet, you are giving me a response. I'm trying to broaden that a little bit, I think. <laughs> I was as you were talking about the echo. I was just like this random thought came in my head of like you know there'd be some uh, some commercial on the radio where it would say like Echo buy this from on Amazon <laughs> and, and if you actually had your Echo would actually go and buy that item right that'd be a, a nice little attack there. Uh. Uh, I'm sure, I mean, we're joking, but there's going to be stuff that we, we were like, oh, we, we were joking. Uh, there's going to be, I really think though, I mean, there's got to be only so much, like we are buttoning down the, battening down the hatches, so to speak with, even though, you know, some reports would indicate we still have a lot of problems as a culture of, of, of that frontline app, app layer defense of, you know, escaping inputs and, and, you know, all the different defense layers, but it seems like, I don't know. Um, uh, there's still going to be that back door if if no one's paying attention to it, and people will focus on that if if the front door is completely locked and, and soldered down, so to speak. Yeah, and it, one of the things it, it does, and, and maybe we'll wrap up with this, is is going to what you just said, the input and the output escaping. Um, those just become more and more important. You think, well, if you know, there's out of band, that's all crazy. You know, it's a whole different problem. Actually, it's really not. It's the same mistakes. People have to decide: am I gonna am I gonna escape the data as it comes in, or am I gonna escape it as it goes out? Right. I personally am in favor of escaping the way out, but there's a good argument for escaping it as soon as it comes in. Um, but if you're consistent and within an organization, within your products, uh, you know, maybe even within the industry, you know, as a whole, we need to kind of be very consistent because, you know. I like output escaping because then you can do it tailored to the situation. But, um, you know, sometimes it's better on the way in. It's kind of really, you know, you have to be very, in any case, you have to be um, really meticulous about being consistent. If you're always doing output escaping and everybody knows all the data that comes in as you send it out, it is, it is dangerous, right? It's potentially dangerous and I'm always going to treat it that way. Uh, and I'm going to treat it on the way in <laughs> to do, you know, uh, you know, SQL escaping or whatever. I'm going to treat it as it's dangerous, but I'm not going to worry about client side attacks. I'll let the client handle that. Or, but it, whatever you do within your organization, be consistent. I've seen too many times where one hand in the organization likes to do uh, escaping on the input. They like to escape it before they put it in the database. Right? Totally valid. Totally good use case. There's lots of reasons to do that. But if that's what you do, and then you're not focusing on output escaping because you figure it's already been scrubbed, it's already been sanitized in some fashion, then the other guy who likes to do output escaping and shoves raw data into the database is going to make you vulnerable, right? So you just have to be consistent. And that really is what it comes down to. And if you're doing that all the way across the board through your your your, your mobile apps, your web services, your, your your logs, whatever, if you're being consistent, then you will you will still, you, those standard techniques we talk about in, in development will enable you to build secure applications. But you just have to have that, that, that consistency. 
Yeah. And so like if if the, the exhaustive um, approach of maybe scanning everything and all the the out of band attacks on a system, which is, is, is highly unlikely to get it across to anyone, but in, in the practice of doing that, um, you'll find your inconsistencies and, and finding those inconsistencies are what the bad guys are going to be doing and what they're all about. So we need to like um, provide ways of building it better, but also exposing it better. And I think you You've hit it right on the head. How many years is input or output escaping and the, and the mismatch going to bite us in the butt? And I hope it's not my bank that's doing it wrong, you know? <laughs> <laughs> all right. Well, on that note, uh, thank you very much, Scott, for all the great information. And uh, we will see you all back again. We're sorry we, we missed a, an episode. We were, I guess we're, we like to do it every other week, but we did it every other, every other week. Um, so we missed an episode here. Try to get back on track. Um, we will be back in your ears in two weeks. <laughs> <laughs>